Hi, everybody. It's Jonah Pallone, and welcome to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. Listen, when I was growing up, most people just told me to follow the normal path and get a job at a big company with quote-unquote job security. Eventually, I woke up, and I pursued business going to UNC Keenan Flagler for undergrad. It was a great experience, but almost everything I was taught in the business school centered around big business and startups. During college, I was fortunate enough to land a position where I get to be around small business owners every day. I get an inside look at how they make tough decisions. I know more about these business owners than a lot of their spouses. With Owner Operated, I want to let you in behind the curtain. Listen, my entire life I've heard people give business owners a bad rap. Since I've gotten involved in helping business owners sell their companies at Midstreet, I've learned that most often the opposite is true. Small business owners are often the most giving and supportive people I surround myself with. I'm on a mission to get the word out that small business ownership is a good thing, but don't get it twisted. I'm going to share the good, the bad, and the ugly, a lot of emotions, a lot of hard work, and just what makes these businesses so special, the people behind them. Join me on my journey into the world of small business ownership. And if you enjoy the podcast, be sure to leave us a rating on iTunes and subscribe to the show on whatever platform you like. My guest today is Melissa Herzog, owner of Full Circle Private Wealth Management of Raymond James in Chapel Hill. Melissa and I met at an event put on by the Real Estate Club in college. She's awesome. We talked about the benefits of hiring a wealth manager, her insights from working with business owners, and much more. I hope you enjoy this episode and let me know what you think. All right, Melissa, thanks so much for hopping on the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So tell the audience, sort of give us your you know, five-minute spiel on who you are, how we met, and what do you do for a living? Absolutely. So Joan and I met at the UNC Business School when I was doing a career talk uh, to the real estate uh, students in the school um, with a private equity shop that I used to work with in Raleigh. Uh, so Jonah reached out, connected well, and asked a lot of questions about the business, which is great. That's awesome. So, so tell everybody what you do. So I am a wealth manager, and what that means is I work with high net worth families and business owners to uh, really create a financial plan, if you will, um, for their their financial lives. Um, and I uh, started my firm, Full Circle Private Wealth. Uh, you know, I've been in the financial industry for t- about 23 years um, and always working with high net worth families and business owners throughout that time. And really what I've learned from them, um, you know, that's most important, uh, what they're looking for in a financial relationship is caring and trust. They really want somebody who's going to treat them like family. And so what I found working in the, you know, the big banks is that, you know, their focus really is very different. It's not really clients focused. It's on growth and revenue um, and products. And so that really didn't um, fit with kind of my values. And so what I decided to do was create my own wealth management practice that really focused on the things that I had learned from my clients and what they valued, which is really that trust and relationship. Yeah. And we'll definitely get into that. That's going to be a big topic. But just just to kind of set the table with it, how did you get involved in wealth management? How did you sort of come across it? And how did you know it was the right path for you? (laughs) Totally by accident. Um, You know, coming out of college, as I think many kids have no idea what you want to do. Um, uh, So I I actually worked two jobs uh, throughout college and had a friend of mine when I was waiting tables say, oh, you should think about banking. And interestingly, his friend came in that night to the restaurant, which was really, so I believe in signs. That was really, um, uh, really interesting. And so we had a conversation and ended up, I, so I ended up in the bank, the banking world and, um, started, um, with in retail sales and then moved up to wealth management from there. And, you know, I, I did a stint in management where I managed 
I don't know, 250 employees at one point and very early in my career and decided that was not the path for me. (laughs) Uh, So they expanded wealth management into Chapel Hill. And um, I was the only person that lived there in the in the firm. And so really built a book of business from scratch from there. And it was just I've been there ever since. It's been wonderful. You got to find what you're where you're best suited. Yeah. And and that's part of the, the mission for this podcast. You know, there's a lot of things that we talk about, but one of them is finding the right path for you and, and small business is kind of what we're here to talk about. So, you know, obviously you did the investment banking thing. Now you do wealth management. Talk about some of the differences, I guess, in lifestyle and just what you like about it better. So wealth management is great because it's very relationship focused. Like I love people. I love talking to people. I love their stories. Um, and so that's really how I've built my, my success is just talking to people and listening to what it is they need. Um, you know, and because that has to, you know, you have to start there before you can ever put a plan in place. Um, so I love wealth management for that reason, because you get to learn their families, you get to talk um, about what their goals are, what their concerns are. It's a very intimate relationship. And I think it takes a special relationship to be able to get to the root of what people want and what they need. And so for me, um, I love that part. I love talking about family values, philanthropy, you know, the philosophical questions around wealth, not just the money or the investments. That's a side thing. Um, I just love the, um, the, you know, the, the softer side of, of wealth. I think most people would, would not think that when they think of wealth management, right? (laughs) That those are the sort of the side pieces of it, that there's more to it. Interesting. Right. So, so tell me about, so what does a wealth manager do? Maybe, maybe describe just a typical wealth manager, you know, and, and what are you talking about when you say there, there's more to it than just the financial aspect? Sure. So a true wealth manager versus an asset or an investment manager, right? They're two different things. And a wealth manager really focuses on all aspects of a financial life. And that means estate planning. It means uh, philanthropy. It means intergenerational wealth transfer to your children and your grandchildren, college retirement planning, income planning, tax planning, debt management, cash flow planning. I mean, there's so many pieces to it. Um, And so that is wealth management. That's really honing in on all of those topics, risk management, insurance. So how do we get to the result? So the the investment management comes at the tail end. Asset allocation, investment allocation, obviously are a piece of that, but that comes at the very end. You cannot have an investment plan in place or set it in a vacuum. It has to have all those other pieces in place. And you have to, it takes time to understand all that. Mm-hmm. So, so you mentioned building trust is sort of the foundation of what you do, right? And, and at Midstreet, it's sort of the same thing, right? Yeah, it, absolutely. You're dealing with um, people's lives, really. What are some of the lessons that you've learned to build trust with clients? You know, how have you done that? Well, first and foremost, it comes with collaboration and listening and authentic communication, you know, putting people at ease, being not real, you know, not formal, just really sitting and being open about my issues as well as their issues. You know, you have to, it's a relationship. So, you know, being genuine and authentic with that, you can't teach that. That's something either you have or you don't, I think. Um, but because I love people and I, I love their stories, I think it comes naturally, um, which is great because it, it puts people at ease and it allows them to really share their deepest, you know, goals and fears, honestly, about money and about how to transition that to their children. Because you can't, there is a question, you know, we talk a lot about is how much is enough? How much do you really need? to have a fulfilling life. And I think that's something we talk a lot about, but um, to build that trust takes time and it takes just being open and honest and with good integrity and and honestly providing recommendations that are in the client's best interest. It Mm -hmm. sounds very simple and something everybody says, but not many actually do in this industry. 
Yeah. And how much is enough? I mean, I mean, when I guess talk about your, your average client size and, and who you deal with, and then some of those considerations, I mean, that, you know, you're dealing with really heavy life stuff. So I, I guess let's just start there. So, so what does your typical client look like and, and how have you fostered those relationships over the years? How have you met those folks? Yeah. So, um, the average net worth is around 20 million of the clients that I work with, but that includes sometimes an illiquid asset, like the business or a family limited partnership or some sort of real estate, something that's illiquid, um, but an investment nonetheless. Um, so, um, but I may manage actual assets, maybe as little as none, depending on, uh, where that client is in the process of that business sale or ownership. Um, so, but they pay advisory fees from, for us to really get to, uh, the Got goals it. that they want. So, um, so, you know, how I've built those relationships, you know, luckily growing up in the banking world, um, had really good relationships with internal, um, business bankers, commercial bankers. And so they were really well connected to the business ownership, ownership in, you know, in the triangle. Um, so, you know, had a lot of those relationships referred to me that way. Um, but also mostly actually my referrals come from existing clients. So I may have got, um, with, um, relationships with a CPA firm in Chapel Hill, I had really strong ties there early on in my career and did some talks there, seminars and, and discussions. And then they refer one and then I end up getting more when they've, uh, after that, if we've done it a good job. And so, and then my clients refer, uh, as well. So it, it, it's an organic process. Um, um, I never ask referrals that <laughs> they just come from people that, um, if they've had a good experience, they will share your name. That's great. And, and one question I have, it's, it's sort of weird, but a lot of people think business owners are like these, like, you know, really, really successful. Oh my gosh, I I'll never be able to talk to them type of folks. Right. And, and they, you know, oftentimes they have a lot of success, but was there ever a sort of a, a an awkwardness that you felt when trying to approach them or talk to them about their business? <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, early on when you're first starting to learn the questions to ask, I think that's really difficult, especially I think I'd started my late 20s. So, you know, trying to have a conversation with someone who's 40 years your senior with so much more experience was really intimidating. Um, but, you know... <sighs> the more you talk to people, the more you just listen and, and be an active listener and find out. It's the same questions at the end of the day. What do you want to do? How long do you want to do it? You know, how do you transition your business? Who's it, who are you going to transition it to? What happens if something happens to you? I mean, these are some of the same questions that everybody struggles with, no matter what, where they are in life. And so just, you know, being an active listener, learning about their business and just ask them questions. Sometimes I even like going in a meeting, not knowing anything about their business because, you know, that prevents you. If you think you know everything, you're not going to ask questions. And so, you know, I've always said, well, you got to, you know, the bank used to say, you've got to prepare and you've got to know everything. Well, no, I don't, I don't know if that's true. Um, I think going in with an open, open mind and just asking open-ended questions, you'll get what you need. Mm -hmm. But how did you overcome that when you were first starting out? How did you, I mean, you must have had, you, do you remember your first client that you took on? And Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't actually, um, you know, I can't, I can't remember the first one, how it came about, but I just, you know, I can't, I just always try to be myself as best I, that I can and, and be, you know, just talk to people and it just, it just comes. I, I mean, I just overcame it partly actually, I think waiting tables in college helped me. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because you have to talk to people. You had to be really friendly and that I'm not natural that way. I'm an introvert. So <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> um, great one-on-one -on -one, awful in groups and I'm hate small talk. So I tend to, you know, 
not do well in those situations. I'd rather get to the deep conversation of what people... I'm the same exact yeah. way. I'm the same. Well, we didn't do a ton of small talk when we started this. So I... <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> thank goodness. Yeah, thank God. So let's talk more about, you know, your clients and, and sort of what you do for them. Um, I, let's say I'm a... And I guess this is where I really want to start with this. So I'm a business owner. At what point do I start to have, you know, I'm starting to have questions. Let's say I'm a business owner in their, you know, mid fifties and I don't have a wealth manager currently. I have, maybe I have an accountant, CPA, an attorney, but, um, I don't have that sort of professional estate planning help. At what point do you start to prepare and have those conversations? Well in advance before you even think about selling your business. And it takes years and it's, it just takes, there's so many aspects of selling a business. Um, Really, a lot of them have to do with philosophical issues. Again, you know, this is something you've built. This is your legacy. This is your identity in some ways. So, you know, the question is, well, then what do I do? That's usually the first question. Like, I don't want to sell because then what I would, what I do, I would, you know, I'd probably die if I, if I didn't have this business to go into every day. And so I've seen business owners well into, you know, their seventies, eighties, you know, just are just not willing to let go of that something they've, they've created. So I think that's a difficult thing for people to get to. So it takes sometimes years to get to, Mm-hmm. an answer and a clarity well, around and, that. And also there, and this is something that we go through as well with, with our clients, it's, it, they have to struggle with sort of accepting mortality. Yes. Well, that's absolutely true. I, that may be part of it. Right. Because again, yeah, absolutely. I actually see it a lot when people retire too, because you spend a lot of your life doing one thing and then out of that, in that rat race. And then when you get out, you, you really do question, okay, what, what is my purpose? And I, I think that is a big piece of it. So that takes time and years. So beyond that, the philosophical questions, there are questions you need to ask yourself, particularly if it's a family owned business. Well, what happens if something happens to me? Who, who's going to run my business? What taxes would be due? How would we pay those taxes? Um, because often business owners don't take liquidity out of their business, right? It's all, they leave it all in there. They reinvest it, which is great early in the life of a business, but it doesn't help provide um, a safety net outside if something were to happen to that business. And so, um, you know, we have discussions about that. How do you plan for pulling liquidity out prior to a sale um, and uh, preparing for that, for that future? Um, what happens if one of your kids wants to stay in the business and the others don't? What happens if you don't have children? Who do, who do you transition the business to? Mm-hmm. So again, there's just a lot of conversation that needs to be had before you even think about selling the business. And on top of that, so those are the philosophical questions. And then it's, okay, the actual structure of things, because some things do need to be done if you want to mitigate estate taxes, for example, or capital gains taxes should be done well in advance of a sale, six months at least. Um, whether that's an IPO, whether that's some sort of charitable trust, you need to have those structures in place before you sell, well before you sell, for it not to be tested by the IRS. So again, there's just lots of reasons to think uh, um, much earlier than you would think. So I, I've got so much to ask about this, but let's just start with, again, the, the mortality question. I mean, at your role as a wealth manager, that's a really delicate conversation to have. So, you know, when they come to you, they've obviously thought about it a little bit and then they're starting to think, okay, well, I need to make some decisions here. But with you, I mean, you're, you're, you're helping them plan for, I have to imagine, you know, when they're gone, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's part of the thing. So, yep. and that's a very difficult realization, question, discussion, all of that. How do you approach that? And, and there's a, there's a fine balance there of, of making sure that they're ready for that conversation. Sure. How do you think about that? You know, you start slow, you kind of let them talk with, um, 
whatever level they're ready to talk. And sometimes that, again, that just can take multiple conversations and maybe years even. Um, You know, you just have, sometimes they haven't even thought about it. Like I may ask the question sometimes, well, how much is enough for your children? Most of the time, people have not thought of that, the answer to that question. Um, And so I actually have a book that I share. It's called Wealth and Families um, that I provide, that helps provide some guidance. Just, just again, open-ended questions to help people start thinking. Um, But I also help facilitate that conversation over time. Um, So again, it just, it just takes time. Um, but you know, once we, sometimes eventually we'll get to the financial modeling piece of it. So put some numbers around the ideas. So if they finally start getting, okay, well, how about X dollars? We can model that financially to say, okay, if you sold your business for X and you have all these goals after the taxes are paid, this is what you're left with. This is what your kids may have 10, 20, 30 years out. How does that feel? How would that impact your life and their lives. Um, so it's a good, it's a, you know, I, I always plan for, I always tell them I'm the planner of the worst case scenario, <laughs> you, you know, and that, and then we build from there. Got it. And, and I mean, let's just uh, kind of practically dive a little bit into this. Um, you know, you're thinking in terms of, okay, when, when you turn, I mean, like just practically speaking, when you turn, you know, you're expecting around 90 years old, right. And you have a certain amount of money right now. And are we talking about like, earn rate or like, you know, reinvestment into the market. How do you think about that? And is that a, is that a delicate conversation in itself? Cause like you're like, now there's a date, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you know, I, we always model, well, financial planning, we model, well, we can do whatever people want. The, the standard is mid nineties actually on um, life expectancy because people are living longer than you expect. And people have had a full life and um, you, 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 you never want to live too long or outlive your money. That's like people's biggest fear. Um, so so we do model the financial model, you know, current financial planning takes stress tests of portfolio for longevity, for inflation, for taxes, higher taxes. All those things are taken into consideration instead of just the old financial planning, which was a linear return. If I can get five or 6% every year for the rest of my life, I'm in good shape. But you know what? That In reality, the markets don't move that way, right? They're, they vary greatly. And in fact, from year to year, and in fact, uh, the standard deviation, the risk that has added in the market now because of where historically low rates are um, is significant. So you really have to plan for the downside um, and new statistics modeling kind of stress test portfolios for that reason. And so there's just a lot that goes into it, but it's also, it's a living document. It's not something you do once and say, okay, well, these are my goals. This is what I want. And, you know, I'm going to live to 94. You know, it doesn't work that way. You have to, it's a living document where we talk about it as things change or at a minimum annually, just to um, make sure that we're all, you know, on the same in yeah. pro- probability of success. Got it. Okay. So um, controversial question. This is something that I've seen on the internet, right? Why would I use a wealth manager if I can just invest my money in index you know, funds? <laughs> so here's the misnomer that wealth management is equal to investment management, right? They're two very different things. And I think that's difficult for people uh, to understand and t- unless they're in it, right? Because wealth management, again, has estate taxes, income tax planning, cash flow budgeting, debt management, um, interest rate sensitivity, statistical modeling, all of that goes into wealth management, risk management, umbrella policy, liability risk. I mean, there's so many things that go into wealth management, philanthropy. Um, so that's wealth management. Investment management, again, is 
the end result? How do I get the income I need? Um, and that's investment management. So you're right. I mean, investment management passively has become very common. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, I could buy the, you know, an S and P and, you know, do fine. I don't, but do you want an advisor to help you think about all the issues that you may not realize, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And, is it, you know, a good wealth manager will help you think about things and save you money in many other ways than just the investments. Got it. And so, you know, you're dealing with business owners who probably have, you know, how many employees on average would you say? Probably 50 to 100. Okay. So they've got probably a management team in mm-hmm. place for the most part mm-hmm. and they have trust. Depends. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure. Right. But, you know, they've got trusted advisors around them that they've probably known for 10, 20 years, right? They've got an attorney, an accountant, CPA, and, you know, you come into the mix. Is there, you know, how do you balance? Are you, do you feel like you're part of the team? Is there a balancing act with making sure you communicate with all those? Cause you mentioned tax planning and, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely, they're all sort of related. So yes. how do you balance that to make sure you, you hit the goals of the business owner? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, it is a team approach. That's the way that I approach it. Um, I'm the link between the family um, and all these outside advisors. So we may provide ideas about legal structure, but we don't create legal documents, right? So we work in concert with their current legal advisors. And if, and very commonly, you'd be surprised, don't have a legal uh, and estate planning oh, yeah. um, attorney actually uh, ready and available. You, you'd be surprised. That's so like you the, make those connections. Make those connections, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So I'm well connected in the community that way. So make that connection. And then, you know, absolutely they'll have a CPA. Um, so bringing them into the, what are the tax implications of this? Because they, know, you know, they are specialists in the tax world. We provide the high level um, structures and ideas and then get the detail, um, you know, through their, um, their current advisors. And again, it is a team approach. It has to be because not every one person can know everything. My job as a generalist is to know a little bit about everything and touch on the issues, get the, um, you know, the, the ideas down and then let's, let's keep it moving and get the planning going. So, you know, you're working with the advisors sort of in, in, you know, concert with them and you're managing this high level process, stupid, kind of stupid question, but what's the difference between a wealth manager and a family office? Cause they seem like they perform a lot of the same functions. Yeah, no, it's a great question. A family office, um, is, is you're right. Do a lot of the same functions, exactly what a single family office does. A single family office, instead of outsourcing to someone like me or an investment manager, you know, they will uh, hire someone to be uh, on, on their own staff. So um, they will have that person working just for them. They don't work with anybody else and they only work with the family. Um, and that tends to have a pretty high net worth bar for it to be cost effective. You can mm-hmm. usually outsource most things. Um, but the more money you have, the more you have to outsource, the more complicated it actually gets. So there, at some point there is a family office makes sense. Got it. Yeah. And so for you, you know, when you're working with these clients, have you seen, I mean, this has become really popular, at least from, from my perspective, the alternative investment space even more, right? The small business investments. Do you see your clients making, you know, alternative investments and are they consulting with you to kind of 
talk about those decisions versus investing in the market versus, you know, whatever else you have? Absolutely. Um, alternatives is uh, a topic that has definitely gotten more traction in the last decade, for sure, um, because they tend to be non-correlated returns to the this, the markets um, and which can minimize volatility over time. So it absolutely plays a role with clients who have a certain level of net worth um, and that usually starts at about, you know, $10 million. And so, um, you know, bringing in alternatives, whether that's uh, a direct in a business, whether it's real estate, um, you know, whether it's traditional hedge funds, things like that, you know, that p- can play a role. But it's it, mm-hmm. those carry their own risks, right? Illiquidity, um, you know, tax complications with K-1. So there's, there's some complexity to them that people need to understand. Uh, but that vetting process is something that um, absolutely help, help them think through. Got it. Okay. And so, so kind of circling back to what the podcast is all about, right? It's called owner operated. And, you know, really for me, I'd love to own my own small business in the future. Um, and, and I'm trying to learn as much as I can from these conversations. And you've obviously talked to tons of small business owners, you know, you must know a lot of different things that they've done well, that they've done maybe not so well. What are some of your takeaways for, you know, what they've done to become successful? I mean, maybe the top couple of things that you've seen. I think the reason I like business owners so much is because they're very relationship oriented and which is exactly how I run my business. They're very connected to their community, their employees, their, um, their vendors. I mean, they just, they, they own it. Right. And so they just know how important that is and they build a culture that way with the business. Um, and that is really a theme of success throughout it's that they know they need a team. They have a culture of integrity and um, relationship and customer service. And so that's exactly how I run my business. And so I, I have definitely seen that all successful business owners have a really strong culture in place. Got it. And what about some of the things that they've done maybe not so well that you've had to help with or you know, things that you've seen? Succession planning is a big one. Um, again, back to your point about mortality, they don't think that they're going to, they don't want to plan for when they're not around. Um, and so most of the time when I'm talking with business owners, they've not thought about it. Um, you know, they maybe are not even communicating to their children and their family about what their goals are. And so I think it's just kind of this, okay, so I have a lot of family meetings and bring the family together at some point. Eventually we get there. Um, but, you know, they really have to think about who is going to take over when they are not around and letting go of some of that control over time, which is very difficult to do. Um, but, um, you know, having a plan in place for that is extremely important. How do you, ins- you want the people that are helping you be successful stick around? And how do you incent good employees to stay? So there's, there's a lot of uh, thought around that. Well, part of it is, it seems to be that, that part of it is the exit planning piece of it, but also part of it is, you know, you know, let's be honest, we're in sort of the small business world, 50 to hundred employees. They may have a management structure in place, but can they just walk away from the business for a year and, and nobody notices? Probably not. Yeah, probably not. So is part of that strategy of pulling yourself out of the business and uh, proceduralizing and having systems in place is, is establishing that a key component of the exit planning strategy, start to back them out of some of those roles so that somebody else, maybe the, the children or a new buyer for the business can come in and it's easier? Absolutely. And actually, I think a buyer would prefer that because there's risk involved, right? If they're going to buy a business and you haven't let go of any of the control of the duties, you're that's a key risk. If something were to happen to you, how much is that valued? Is it less valuable because you're not around? That, that 
you know, so I think a buyer, once you've delegated and done it the right way and have these duties where you're not as important is not the right word, but as critical, integral integral to the business, you're much more valuable because that means if they buy it and something were to happen to you, the revenue stream is going to stick around. And that's really what a buyer is looking for, right? The future revenue stream. Mm -hmm. Um, So you do need to have it in place. Um, for delegating those duties and finding, you know, letting go of some of that and see who, who, who can step up. This show is brought to you by Midstreet Mergers and Acquisitions, a business intermediary based out of Raleigh, North Carolina, that specializes in selling businesses generating $1 to $25 million in revenue in the Southeast. If you own a business and are considering an exit or you know someone who is, check out their website and contact them at midstreet.com. That's M-I-D-street.com. Back to the show. Yeah. And another question I had in terms of being, you know, you've got an identity as a business owner, for example, and, and you know, you, you've made your name in the community. You have employees that you support, you know, you support your family off the business. And probably a lot of these folks have really, I mean, at least when they started and, and probably still now, they have visions of what the business could still even become growth, growth, ideas of growth, right? How do they balance that with realizing at a certain point, I'm going to have to stop and I'm going to have to back out and, and either pass this on to my children or, or sell to a buyer? How do they balance that? How do you see that working out? Yeah, I mean, I think once they start bringing, you know, thinking through what the next step is, they have to actually, particularly if they have children and or whoever their succession planning is, whether it's kids or whether it's the current management team. Um, they have to start taking their ideas about growth into consideration. You know, at mm-hmm. some point they have to, you know, let go of that. And I've, I have a business owner where this is funny. He's, he's older, but, um, you know, his son wanted to change the logo and make it more um, appealing to women, which was a, a really interesting conversation that they had had. But, you know, he you know, it's amazing. He let his son do it and take, take the reins and really run with the marketing and how we want to really change to, to the, to a a different audience going forward and really forward thinking. And I was very impressed that he allowed that to happen, which, you know, so those are the kind of things that, you know, they've got to be able to let go of some of the things because you don't always know where the growth is headed either. You know, uh, if you've been in it so long, sometimes you may, you know, not see some external factors that you need to take into consideration. Um, so really having a good team around you, um, is important. Yeah. And just going back to this, I think you have such a unique perspective on business ownership because you really have, you have a big behind the scenes, behind the curtain, look at several different types of businesses, different sizes. You know, you've, I'm sure you have a lot of knowledge about that. And, you know, related to what we just talked about with passing it down to children specifically, that can be sometimes very, very challenging. And there's a lot to think about that some people don't consider right away. And so I'm sure that what was that book you recommended again um, on family business ownership? Uh, it's Wealth and Families. Wealth and Families. Okay. Mm-hmm. So does that book talk about passing it down to your your children, the, the different generations? Um, it's more of a philosophical look about philanthropy, how much is enough, you know, you know, once you've kind of created the wealth, then what do we do with it was is more in that um, realm. But um, there are lots of books about business succession planning and how you bring the kids in. It does have some comments about your children and getting them involved early um, and helping them making decisions early, um, earlier than you would probably like, um, that is important, um, because, you know, while you're still there to help guide them, it's really about that guidance that you can provide to family and doing open communication and giving them duties early is, Mm. is critical. Have you seen sort of a new, 
I don't know what you would call it, I guess a wave of family business owners looking to pass a business down onto children who might not be interested in owning the business? I, well, I it's, very frequently you have either they don't have any children at all um, or they have three or four, but only one is interested in the business. It's very rare that all of them are interested in coming in the business. And so that always poses issues. How do we then... Um, you know, sometimes you have to leverage the business to pay out the other siblings, for example, or do we create a revenue stream uh, specifically for that, those family members? And so that can also be touchy, right? Because, you know, the one that's in the business is saying, okay, I'm doing all this work and I'm, I'm, I'm involved in the business, but they're still getting income. So it just can cause some issues. So it's, it's a very thoughtful plan that has to be put in place. place, Do you ever work with private equity or more strategic you know, partners to do some sort of a, a full, you know, a majority recapitalization to absolutely help with that? that is very, um, you know, but it changes the culture of the company, right? That's the downside of that. Sell a minority interest, you've now lost maybe a big, not maybe not all control, yeah. but some parts of it. You now have a partner that may or may not culturally fit. So that also has to take. A, that's almost more complicated than just selling outright, mm-hmm. um, because then at least you're not involved. Yeah. And what you find when a private equity buys your company, I mean, again. They're focused on growth. They have returns to their investors. They have to hit. And so you now have this, this, you know, I don't know what you want to call the hammer over you that you have to perform. And I think that takes the fun out of owning a business away. And so often I have found that private equity is actually very stressful for many business owners. Um, But, you know, unless it's just a, a very small minority piece, but that is a way to monetize the business in some ways, right? Keep it intact, but also monetize some of the equity to pay out some of the children or yourself and let um, let it keep going. And another problem, you know, potential problem with the private equity majority recapitalization where they buy a majority of the company is now if you're the business owner, you turn into an employee, which is exactly. probably something you Absolutely. haven't been for 30 years. And it never goes over. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, they, you know, inevitably, you know, they, most private equity will tie you up. So you've got to stay for a certain number of years, depending on the business, of course, and, and how integral you were in the business. But they usually will tie you up for a while and they usually want a stock deal and they they don't usually give you cash on the front end. So I always recommend take cash if you can, because, um, you know, or at least some mix of both and not take an all stock deal Um, because inevitably they're going to run it very differently than you. And you, that may be better in the long run for the business itself, potentially. So it's just letting go of a lot of things maybe that you didn't realize. It's a very difficult thing. Yeah. Do you, do you see more uh, business owners preferring a full buyout of their company if they have to sell, right? A full buyout um, or a majority recap or a you know minority interest sale? What do you see is most common? A full buyout usually, um, particularly if they don't have children. Um, how do I monetize this? That Let me just step out. If somebody else is going to have a vision and run it, I'd rather just be out. <laughs> and how, how important is the transition of the business and making sure it succeeds to them? You know, you, it's amazing. Once they walk away, they walk away. You know, I mean, it's, 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 I don't know. They might, I think once they get to that point, they're, they're gone. They're checked out. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't look back. Um, that they would probably be too difficult. Absolutely. So, yeah. They don't live in the past. <laughs> <laughs> so, so average client size for you is around 20 million. Of net worth. How, right? of, of net worth. Mm-hmm. How much 
are they, and this is an interesting one, to build the trust with them, do you start with a smaller amount of money and then over the years it, it slowly works up in terms of the investment management side or how does that work mm-hmm. typically? Yeah, usually there's, um, if there's no, if like I say they own a business and all their net worth is tied up in that business or that illiquid asset, we'll start with uh, advisory fees on the front end and to really get to all of these topics that we've been talking about, all these wealth management issues because they exist, maybe even more so before the business sells. So there's a lot of rich discussion. So there are advisory fees, advisory fees on the front end. And then as the liquidity uh, occurs, um, there's our investment management fees that can then take over those fees. So you're not paying both usually. Depending, there's a break point in there Got where it. you shift to investment management. Got it. Okay. And then fee, uh, this is another t- big topic in the wealth management community. And I'm not sure to what degree you can comment on this, but fee versus non-fee based. What's the difference and what are some considerations business owners should be making? Yeah. So fee-based you allows the manager to be compensated as your wealth grows, you know, they get compensated more. If it goes down, they get paid less. So there is a, a good um, alignment of interest when you do a fee-based program, which also the fees though, you want to make sure you're getting what you pay for. And so that's where that's all inclusive of the wealth management topics that we talked about. So if you're paying an annual fee, you should also be getting not only investment management, but these wealth management topics addressed, in my opinion. Um, Because to your point you made earlier, why would I pay the fee if I'm not getting all this other advice? Because I can buy an S&P fund or an index fund and just, you know, or an exchange traded fund. Um, So again, I think the advice needs to be there. Uh, if you're going to pay an annual fee and it, you know, it's a little more active management in that regard. Um, so got it. Yeah. So for business owners looking to start to dip their toes in the water with this, what's sort of the minimum revenue or earnings and how, you know, I guess what figure would you look at, but what's the minimum level they need to be at to sort of start having these conversations with a wealth manager? Um, Does it really just vary among the community? I think it just varies. I mean, I think if you know you've created value in your business and you're, you know, it's significant and maybe more than, you know, five to 10 million worth of value um, and you've not started thinking about, okay, what are my next steps and what are all the risks involved here? You should have that conversation with someone. Um, So it, you know, it, it doesn't take much you know, to build a business on, on, you know, from an EBITDA perspective, you know, let's say half a million or a million in EBITDA on a 10 times multiple. I mean, you've got significant wealth there. So it just depends on the industry, depends on the wealth you think you've created. Um, maybe you don't even know, maybe you're not even thinking of it that way. Um, if you even have the, the business valued, I mean, there are some, um, good discussions that you can have, you know, early to even know whether you need a lot of the planning. Got it. Okay. And and this is something that I've kind of dealt with too. I'm curious, have you seen with these business owners, when they're talking about, you know, the wealth management conversations and they're looking at potentially selling the company long-term, is a lot of that because they've realized there's more to life than just business, right? There's more, you know, I want to see my grandchildren more. I want to see, you know, I want to pursue my hobbies and passions. Is that a big part of it or is it more so health concerns? You know, what's, what's sort of the drivers? It's Historically speaking, the drivers have been age or a health concern or the kids are pushing them to make some decision or they've got people like me that have met them over time and say, you need to be thinking about these things (laughs) Um, because it is something they tend to, they just love what they do. It's just, that's not what they're in it for. They do it because they love it. And so they, maybe some of these topics just don't ever, they don't think about. Um, So, but I will tell you since COVID, um, 
there's been a lot of discussion about, okay, life is short. And I've spent, I mean, you're a business owner, you're spending just about every waking moment thinking about that business if you're not in the office or, or, or there uh, running the business. And so at some point, you know, I've seen recently that there is a lot of discussion around, okay, I need more time for my children. My grandchildren, life is very short. You can access previous episodes of Owner Operated and sign up for my free weekly newsletter where I summarize topics from each episode and send them straight to your inbox at jonahpalone.com in the show notes. That's jonahpalone.com. And if you like the show, please leave a review and tell a friend to help more people find Owner Operated. Back to the episode. All right. Now we're in the rapid fire question round. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. I'm yeah. never good at that. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so biggest piece of advice for an aspiring business owner based on what you've seen in your experience with other business owners? Building your vision and your culture early. What are you trying to create Build it with the right people. Don't just hire to hire. Um, there should be an alignment of interest and and a, a shared vision and culture with the people that you hire as best you can. I know it's you know hard to do with everyone, but have a really good process in place for for who you bring on your team because that is who you see the majority of your life. Absolutely. And you know people you trust, people that work with integrity that are going to help you grow this business. So I would say that's probably the number one thing. Okay. Biggest difference between an unsuccessful business owner and a successful business <laughs> owner. Maybe not unsuccessful, but less successful. You know, someone who's not willing to adapt to what's going on in the market, the changes that may need to be made and make them quick enough. Um, you know, if you just kind of stick your head in the sand and say, nope, I've done this my whole life. This is the way I'm going to do it. You've got, you know, you may go in a direction that maybe the market isn't headed that way. And so being open-minded and the ability to change and adapt and listen to the people that are on your team, um, because they see things that you don't see and you see things they don't see. That's part of, you know, having a good team and, pe- and people around you. So, um, listening and, and, sometimes doing something you may not want to do, but your team sees it differently. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the successful clients you've had, are they, do they have, you know, typically what I see is there's a sort of a qualitative and a quantitative person, or, you know, usually they're not the same person. (laughs) Do you see that sort of partnership all the time where there's a guy who's, or a gal who's going out and making the sales? That's kind of what they've done for the company and how they've built it. And then there's a person who's doing the financial analysis and really looking at the books of the company. Yes, absolutely. And that's why a good CFO, you know, you've got the CEO. That's why those two roles exist, right? The CEO is usually the founder or the president or the owner, and they are the face of the company. They are the, the, the face of the community. They know all the people. They, they know the banks. They know the lenders. They know their vendors. Um, and the CFO is the one um, who's back in the back <laughs> crunching the numbers <laughs> and saying, okay, yes, we can do this. We yep. can't do this. We need those people too. <laughs> Correct. Absolutely. Absolutely. They are very complimentary and two critical roles in a company. Okay. All right. Best, um, what's your favorite book? doesn't have to be business. can be personal. Oh, my favorite book. Well, the most recent book that I, is usually the most recent, um, I've, I read Thinking in Bets by Annie Duke. She is a behavioral scientist, but became a poker player. She wanted to test her uh, skills playing poker and her ideas in behavioral science of how she'd be underestimated as a female poker player. Interesting. And so she actually won a lot of poker competitions based on how she knew that how some of the people she was playing against would react to her. 
winning wow. and losing. It's fascinating. But really, I mean, it, 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 it talks a lot about how we make decisions in life, too. So it's a really good book from that perspective. Um, but it tells you really how much luck plays a role in a yeah. lot of what we do in life Absolutely. and how much control we actually don't have. Uh, so it's a fascinating book. Okay. And I'm going to link to all these books in the show notes for everybody to uh, go check out. Um, favorite movie or TV series, whatever. Oh, I haven't watched a movie and well, actually I did watch one movie recently. Um, peanut butter Falcon. Okay. Uh, uh that's a Shia LaBeouf, right? I think so. Yeah. It was, it was referred to me by a friend and I, it was kind of a random movie, but, um, loved the scenery because set in, and I think it's actually some in North Carolina. I think it's probably why mm-hmm. it's very nostalgic for me being at the beach. There are a lot of beach scenes, um, growing up at the beach here in North Carolina. Um, uh, every year it was very nostalgic. Maybe that's why I liked it so much, but just a great film for, you know, allowing people to be who they are, um, which was very heartening. That's awesome. And then last question, what's your, you know, what do you do outside of work? What's your kind of your (laughs) go-to hobbies to get outside? I just, well, I am a big avid runner um, and yoga, yogi. Um, (laughs) But uh, I just recently, again, got to get out of your comfort zone. Mm once in a while in lifetime. And so I just started taking electric guitar lessons. <laughs> so so we'll hear you on the stage pretty soon. Oh my gosh. No, <laughs> I am a finance mind. I am not creative. That's what I've learned about myself, but that's okay. It, it pushes your brain and, and makes you do something um, good. It expands your brain. Um, yeah. But I've always loved blues, blues music and um, live music in general. And oh, yeah. so being able to play the electric car is actually one of the easier ones to learn, I think. Okay. Um, but um, Less finger conditioning than the acoustic, yeah, right? <laughs> absolutely. It's easier. It's soft. It's and yeah. for smaller hands too. It's, yep. it's actually a little easier. So I've been doing that, but cool. I would not great at all. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Well, where can people find you, Melissa? And how can uh, a business owner reach out if they're interested in your services? Yeah. So fullcirclepriveatewealth.com. Absolutely. There's all my contact information there. Um, email me. Um, my email is on that website as well. Um, yeah. I, I'm Even if you just want to have a conversation, you're not sure if it's something you want or not, but just to have a conversation about what you've got in place, I may tell you, you've done a great job. You're on the right path. You may not need it, um, but it's it's good to just sometimes have a conversation about what you've got. Perfect, guys. Well, go check that out. I'm going to link to it in the show notes as well. And Melissa, thank you so much for being thank on. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Jonah. This episode is also sponsored by On Tops Roofing, a family-owned and operated business servicing the Triangle area of North Carolina since 1991. With a long-standing commitment to quality work and customer service, On Tops has grown to be recognized as one of the most respected roofing contractors in the Triangle. They offer roofing work, window replacements, siding replacements, and gutter installation services. Check them out at ontopsroofing.com. That's ontopsroofing.com. Thank you for listening to Owner Operated, conversations with small business millionaires. Be sure to sign up for my weekly newsletter at jonapalone.com, where I share the takeaways from each episode and share any resources or tips I find valuable. And if you like the episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It really does help the show grow and send it to a friend that you think would benefit from it. Thanks so much.